Well, good morning again, church, and um, it's a pleasure to be standing on this stage and behind this pulpit. It's always great to be able to come around God's word, isn't it? And um, a little bit of a sub in this morning, to be fair, and um, Juliet's promised that if I do any of Andrew's jokes wrong, she will stand up and correct me, so that's really good. Andrew's unwell this morning, and um, so I'm going to deliver some material that he sent through to us, um, and I'm going to need your help with that. Uh, because there are some questions on the way through, and we love a few questions on the way through, don't we? There'll be no role plays, because uh, I'm not keen on role play, but there'll certainly be some time to be active in our thinking. And I love that when we come around God's word there. We're active in what we do. This is not something that we just uh, do on a Sunday morning and forget about, but we want to be able to remember it, hide it in our hearts. Um, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, how about those black ferns last night? Are we happy with that? I certainly was. Um, <clears throat> I've got a croaky voice this morning, but I must admit, completely self-induced by shouting at the TV last night. And Gary, I apologise for talking about rugby straight away rather than football, but um, it's, really, it's really good, isn't it, um, to take some, um, to take some uh, joy in those moments, so it's really cool. Um, and I just look around our congregation as well, and it's great to see Christine back with us. Um, as, uh, she's been away for a little while, and we continue to pray for you, Christine. Um, and just the fact that we're here together. Um, and for those that are on... YouTube this morning, uh, welcome as well to our service. It's fantastic that you can be with us. And the reach of God's arm is not short. Uh, and so distance does not separate us from that. So please join with us this morning. Um, as we open God's word this morning, we're going to read about an interaction between Jesus and someone else. And we've been doing that over the last few weeks, haven't we? We looked at Galatians 5 last week. And then in previous times, we've looked at interactions between Jesus and others. And we've just been looking at that because we started off by this series that Andrew's been presenting to us by looking at the ministry of reconciliation, being reconciled to Christ, and then we're called to be in the ministry of reconciliation. So we're just looking at that aspect. And to do that, we're looking at the example of Jesus. Uh, we looked at the, the woman at the well and that interaction, and there are other spaces that we've done that as well. So today we're going to do that again. We're going to open God's word and look at the example that he gives us. Um, and so... Today, um, we're being encouraged to actually have a look at uh, barbecue at the beach. That's tempting, isn't it? Let's get down there now, uh, get some sausages going. It'll be nice. Um, we're being encouraged to look at all the characters in this story. And who do we identify with? Where's our challenge point that God's calling to us to at the moment? Um, and we want to have a wee little bit of a look at that. So as we come to this morning's reading, um, I want us to really be active in that. So I'm going to give you a little bit of time now. We're looking at John 21. I hope you're all thumbing through your pages or digitally going straight to the spot. Uh, John 21. And let's have a look at the characters involved in this story. Where are we in this story? Maybe we're multiple people, but um, I'd like us to be really active in what we're thinking. And I'm going to ask Tina to come and, uh, and, and uh, do the reading this morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, so the reading is John chapter 21, verses 1 through to 14. And it's titled, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 90 metres. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thank you, Tina. A story of beach barbecues. So what just happened on the shores of this lake? What did you see and hear in this story? What sort of smells were going on? There was fish around. I wonder if we could take a moment just before we begin the material that Andrew's prepared for us this morning of turning to the person next to you and I'm going to ask you one little question and that is take 30 seconds. What did you notice in the story? What came out to you? 30 seconds. So we see this story on the beach, don't we? And I love that it's on this beach because I love going to the lakes, um, you know, whether it's up the Waitaki Valley or whether it's uh, uh, down at uh, Central Otago. We love going to the lake and you sit on the edge of a lake. And um, I've certainly done a lot of fishing in my time. Haven't caught one fish, but that's another story that I won't bring into you now. Um, but we've all done that moment. And what do we find these people doing? Well, it's the third time now that Jesus has appeared to his disciples after his desk, uh, death. Um, it's imp- it <laughs> that was Andrew's bit. Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> after his death. And it's interesting, isn't it, because the number three is just a wee trigger for us, isn't it? We're not into numerology here, but the reality is it's nice to see these uh, patterns that come in Scripture. And three is that idea of being obviously uh, important things seem to come in threes, right from the Trinity, that pattern, all the way through. And this is the third time that they have appeared to his disciples. To his disciples, um, because this is and this is important because what sets the stage for this scene is the fact that on this otherwise ordinary day, Peter and Thomas and the rest of the disciples were there, and they were feeling low and a bit despondent, and I guess a bit confused. And here's this group of disciples who have finding that in fact what they thought was going to happen didn't happen, that Jesus has died. What is all going on here? And in fact, how often have we sometimes found ourselves confused in life and what we think to ourselves is, let's go back to what we're good at. At least that will bring us some success. 
And I don't know if you've, I've had that experience myself where, in fact, you know, you think to yourself, oh, it doesn't seem to be working out over here. don't know what God's doing, but maybe I'll just go back to my own strength a little bit. And I know Peter spoke a little bit about that last week. Sometimes we pick up the bag again that we shouldn't necessarily. And here's these group of disciples that go back to what they're good at, um, but they find the experience is not ideal because, in fact, they're not even successful at that. And we get the sense that even after Jesus had appeared to them now twice already since his death, um, they didn't know what all this meant. Um, they didn't understand completely what was going on. And so given that they would have been racked with guilt because after his arrest they had all run away, it now looks like they were all very much ready to just give in and admit defeat and go back to what they had been doing previously. Now, while this was no doubt uh, true for them all, the focus of this story from now on is purposely focused on who was feeling the most um, because just one of these disciples is focused on the, in the story going forward. Peter, he was supposed to be their leader and he vividly remembered how he had promised that he would never let Jesus down. But this focus on just him is also what helps us to engage a lot more closely in what the message might mean for us. And of course, that is what we're looking at the scripture for, uh, to being active in the scripture and looking at how it might apply to us. Well, in the weeks after Jesus died, clearly Jesus' friends, who were these disciples, were all wondering what they should do. We see them in the upper room. We see them on the shores of this lake. We see them fishing. And so often with men, our sense of worth and purpose is really connected with what we do. Um, and we see that in this situation. And so in this moment, they decided to do the one thing that they knew or they thought they would be able to do on their own. Um, something that would give them a taste of success and that perhaps would begin to numb the feelings of their guilt or sense of failing. But it's interesting because perhaps without even thinking they had returned to the very place where they had first heard their call from Jesus to come, follow me and I will make you fisher of men. Now what was the plan? It was to fish for fish. The story tells us they went out at night and were fishing. But I wonder in the back of their minds whether, in fact, they were looking for something else. At this point, they all just felt like a flop, just like their nets, which after a whole night on the lake was still as floppy and empty as, they had went that, as it had been when they began. And so what a waste, huh? Have you ever felt like that? You know, all your efforts were just a waste. Um, and I alluded to that at the beginning that sometimes we go back to our own strength, we pick up what we are good at and think, well, if God's not going to do it, maybe I'll go back to what I was good at. It's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? That massive challenge point to think, actually, how do we let God shine through our lives um, and let his strength show, not our own? I know I'm challenged about that every day um, because, in fact, my last name is Duncan and Duncan's a very known to be very opinionated. Um, I tell my dad that often. Um, and the reality is, isn't it, it's actually, are we listening or are we telling God? And I don't know, but certainly over recent months, I've seen in my readings that I've been doing, have certainly been challenging me personally to that idea that in fact, 
Am I listening to God and getting on board with his plan or am I using God to fulfil my plan? And although that's a subtle difference, it's a really important one, I think, and I think that comes out in this story. And I'll pick up on the material Andrew sent through again now. Now, one of the things you may have noticed in this story is the playoff. Is this sounding funny out there? I'll just keep going. Uh, now, one of the things you may have noticed in this story is the playoff between night and day. You know, the playoff between light and dark, of the night on the lake, and then the immediate chapters that come before and the events that lead to Jesus' death. And when we fail, it is often a dark kind of feeling we have as well. However, what we do notice about the time of day from verse 4 as we sit with these people on the lake, that it is daytime. The author is inviting us to be and to come to this. Well, this is where the author is inviting us to come and be when we have failed, to be in the light. And we're being invited to press into this moment now together and to explore the fullness of whatever this could mean for us today. That now we are told that the first rays of sun are beginning to glisten on the water of the lake and into the eyes of these men who had fished all night and yet had failed. And so often we do this ourselves when we are trying to work out our own calling. Now for a few moments before it was night and yet now with the arrival of Jesus on the shore it is the dawning of a brand new kind of day, a brand new kind of hope. Now, it is, now as a church, it is clear there are so many good things that we do. And yet, of course, there are also plenty of ways that we drop the ball. This has been true over the last couple of years and will always be true to some extent. But what we can learn from a passage like this about what we should do and about how God responds. Well, in fact, the Bible tells us time and time again how God responds when people of God have failed. And when we come back to him, like in this moment at the beach. Like, for example, when the whole nation of Israel had completely dropped the ball themselves and their city was in ruins because they had run away from God. We read this from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. But because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But it's this, with, with this daily newness of God's mercy that we too are being called as well, even right now into his hope, and to be given a new sense of power and direction for what lies ahead. Because we too, just like the disciples, have been called by Jesus to come and follow him, to join him in his work. And as much as we might want to do this, we have no power to do this on our own. And so often we get stuck or distracted by our many and good things we do. Like we might go and fish. Or we just stick to what we know and what feels safe because we're so conscious of the risk that, we're, that we will fail. Of course, without Jesus, and after they had let him down, the disciples had no idea what they should do. So they just went back to what they knew. And they failed in that as well. Interestingly, there is an author and a pastor by the name of Ruth Haley Barton who describes our calling through Jesus like this. She says, Any authentic calling will usually take us to a place where we feel inadequate, where we think that God is asking us to do 
what God is asking us to do is downright impossible or where we just don't want to take the risk. I wonder if you think that's true, that saying, uh, what this pastor was saying. Any authentic calling usually takes us to a place where we feel inadequate. I'm going to pause at this moment. I want to ask you two questions. I'm going to get you to have a chat again. You can see I'm a teacher, can't you? Um, I'm going to get you to have a chat again about two things. Firstly, where do you see that in the Bible, where people failed when they were called by God, but where he in fact continued to call them afterwards? There are characters in the Bible. Have a chat to the person next to you. And secondly, before we... I was going to say a second question. Here's the second question. That is to say, do you reckon it is that authentic calling when we're we're asked to take those risks? Have a chat to the person next to you. So, So we're asked to consider in this story, are we willing to take risks? Are we willing to get on board with God's plan for our life or are we, are we actually calling God to be in our plan? And we're asked to, to, to have a look at that difference. Well, I don't know who you mentioned in your conversations just now, uh, but certainly it was true for a guy like Moses, wasn't it? Um, here's Moses. He's the next big thing. He's got the fancy pants and certainly the crazy hat and he says, I'm going to save Israel. No worries, guys, I've got this. And then, of course, we know the story, where in fact he made a mistake. A decision he made was not what God called him to do, and he killed that uh, Egyptian. And he was put out into uh, the deserts of Moab. Am I right with Moab? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Desert. Uh, Sent out to the desert for 40 years. It's quite a long time. And God said, heart, come with me. And we know that picture of the burning bush where Jesus says in that, in that moment, you know, come, I've got a job for you to do, my job for my people. And when he got on board with that, that's when God called him back to that calling. There are others, aren't there? David, um, that failed. And yet when they realised that they had failed, when they had the hard attitude to come back to Jesus and the reliance on Jesus and on God, that's where they found purpose and renewed purpose for their life. But as we will also see in this next moment on the beach, God always responds to our failures and our fears in very similar ways and themes. And so of course what happens first is that first there is a call. And by the way we are all called by Jesus to be part of what he is doing in bringing gospel and healing and hope to the world even as this calling will often feel outside the boundaries of what we can do. Sometimes we're nervous about that. But God is calling us to that purpose, to share his hope to the world around us. And so there are often few who have the courage to step out in faith into our call because it feels like such a risk. And we'd rather do what just feels safe. And on the other hand, the earliest followers of Jesus had to risk and had to fail in order to be faithful to their call. But what we love about this call is that it comes, in the case of the disciples and, of course, ourselves, with Jesus' full knowledge and awareness that we will all regularly fail and fall short and drop the ball. 
And so I guess it's not really a surprise then that the second part of this cycle is that we do fail and that we do prove to be inadequate for our calling on our own. And I know for me I continue to feel this almost every day. I don't know if that's your Christian experience where in fact you're just going to do something and God says, come along my journey, don't go on your own journey. And I think that in some ways there's some things that come to my mind there in regards to, we know that we've talked about this morning, his mercies are new every morning. And that's why we need it. He says, daily take up your cross and follow me. And I think that's why we need it. Because we need that reminder to be close to Jesus. And so as you know, these men had fished all through the night on their own without a hint or a taste of success. I wonder if they just wished they'd gone to sleep and how much they felt that there was nothing they could do. Well, it all changes. And with the first rays of sun, this man stands on the shore and shouts, Hey, no fish? Ah, put your nets down to the right side of the boat and you'll finally catch yourself some fish. They didn't recognise it was Jesus. I wonder if they felt like saying, who are you telling to suck eggs? We're fishermen, we know what we're doing. I mean, the water goes under both sides of the boat. What's the difference between sides? I wonder whether in our Christian walk we're challenged sometimes. When we hear God's voice in those moments of failure, when he's calling us back to himself, he says, do it my way. And we go, oh, this isn't a bit of my way. And yet when we do it, we know the difference, eh? Where we see in this story that in fact when they relied on Jesus and they were reliant on Jesus, they were fruitful in what they did. It was a ridiculous idea because they'd already fished through the night and hey, they threw out their nets and now their nets were full. (laughs) At this point, they absolutely knew it was him and they scrambled to the shore only to find there was a fire on the beach that had already had breakfast cooked. I love that part of the story. Hey, I love that. A cooked breakfast. I love a cooked breakfast. Fantastic. What I'm really noticing in the story at this point though See, there's two pictures, aren't there, in the Bible that come to mind at this point for me. The first is of the prodigal son who went away for many, many years, squandered what he'd been given, realised in that moment in a far-off land that in fact he'd squandered everything and if he was just a servant back at his father's house, it would be better than eating with the pigs that he was doing at the time. So he went back home And don't you love that little bit of the scripture that says when he was far off the father grabbed up his robes and ran to him. And I love that part of the story because so often in my life and I'm sure for many of us God runs to me when I don't really even deserve it. He runs to me and includes me in his family. The father runs to us. I love this part of the story though because Here we see Peter mirroring that, but from the other side. He knows it's Jesus on the shore. He doesn't wait for that boat to get all the way in. He wasn't worried about getting his feet wet. He jumps in and he runs to see that it's Jesus on the shore. 
And how about that for our attitude this week? As we dig into God's word this morning, how about we take that attitude with us, that this week we will be people that will run to Jesus in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. The barbecue on the shore. Well, that feeling for, uh, for Peter um, and the disciples um, was to see Jesus on the shore. And it was clear because the food was there, the fellowship that was offered, he was not there to punish them. But instead he's looking away to help Peter feel okay for a bit of a reconciling chat around the fire. So now let's finish off the story from verse 15 where the focus is now firmly fixed on Peter and on the way that Jesus welcomes us all when we have failed. So Sarah, can I get you to come and read those final verses for us please? We're looking at verse 15. So John 21 verse 15 says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said to this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Thanks, Sarah. It is a powerful story about calling, failure, reconciliation and then perhaps most importantly and maybe our focus for today is the recalling or recommissioning of Peter to the task that was his in Jesus. Did he feel inadequate? Oh yes I'm sure. But in case you haven't discovered yet yourself the way that God calls will almost always in fact look like something like this. We are called by a God who knows that we will all eventually in one way or another drop the ball. But Jesus still wants us to be part of his work, part of his family. But however it looks, this cycle of our calling will only make sense when we look at the way God responds as is so beautifully and graciously displayed for us in Jesus. There's really a lovely story that explores this well. This is told by well-known scholar and author N.T. Wright who describes a moment like this moment around the fire that occurred in his home. Uh, The author describes the fact that he had a bit of a dinner party and invited friends around. And one of the friends got up and offered to help clear up after the dinner party. Indeed, this guest was eager and would not accept our nose, don't worry about it. So we gave him a towel and he joined us by the sink, drying the pans and the glasses and the jugs and he was still rather excited from the events of the day so that his mind wasn't really focused on the drying job that he had. Once or twice we suggested that he might take a break, that he wanted to go uh, and relax. 
but then all of a sudden it happened. Whoops, drop, smash. It was the brand new crystal jug that we'd only just received as a gift. He was broken, as of course was our jug. And so we were, this one was precious and we tried not to show it or look too upset. We finally swept up the pieces of the floor and left in a very sincere, and he left in a very sincere flood of sorries. Truth be told, we were cross that he had dropped our precious jug. And we struggled to think through what forgiveness would look like for this. He was too eager for his own good. We thought about this a lot. Then after a couple of weeks, we decided to invite him round again. And this time after the meal, we invited him to clear up again, as in to help, just as he had done so the first time. We handed him the tea towel, and his eyes stared back in disbelief. We just smiled. He helped, and it was fine. Nothing broke. And so, you know, the most incredible thing about this story is that it ends not only with Peter being given back his job, but that he is given even more responsibility and trust than before. And we see this in lots of the stories and interactions that we've studied over the last few weeks. And I wouldn't be a good teacher if I didn't have a series of letter-based things for you to remember. So here they come. When we consider the interactions that Jesus had on this beach, when we consider the interaction he had with the woman at the well, with Lazarus, the first thing that Jesus does is he relates to the person. We see that on the beach here, where in fact these were fishermen without fish, so the first thing he does is he relates to them by talking about the fishing issue. The woman at the well, the first thing he does, this woman was there to gather water, he talks to her about I'll have a drink of water. That'll be good. Jesus relates to people. Jesus doesn't stop there. He also brings reality. He talks to the woman at the well, doesn't he, about the fact that she's not living the way she should be living. In fact, even the husband that she says is her husband is her fifth. Then he calls us to relationship with a saviour. To be reconciled to himself. And we see this in the picture of on the beach where Peter, feeling pretty despondent after all the events that had gone on previous days, he says, do you love me, Peter? And he restores him into relationship with himself. And then we see in the final part of the story, reliance. Peter became, came to the point of reliance on Jesus. And it's my prayer this morning that even as we've unpack the story a little bit with the material that Andrew's put, put before us that in fact we will be people that will be reliant on Jesus. Amen? Mm. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we've come to your word and once again found its richness. May we be people that hear your word and Father God, that you will be part of our lives. There's our prayer this morning, Jesus, that we will be people that will be reliant on you in whatever challenges we face. That Father God, even as we are reliant on you and you, you call us again to your purposes, may we hear your prompting of your spirit for your glory and purposes. 
this week, Father God, as we go out into our different places, our jobs, our homes, um, the shops we go to, the people we meet, may our conversation, may our heart be for you and the sharing of your hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you folks. And uh, stick around for a cup of coffee.